0: All right, back with Hannah Bryson here. And so we were talking a a bit abstractly or uh, somewhat theoretically before about the role of entheogens psychedelics depends on what vocabulary you want to use um, as well as the role of microdosing which it ha- is, I don't want to get way too much into all of that, the agenda and goals of that, but it's becoming a bit more widespread or attractive to people, especially wanting to work through various um, mental and emotional blockages and, and challenges and so on and so forth. We were talking about reality tunnels and The various ways in which we are conditioned, the various ways in which our perceptions are more and more limited throughout our lives and the different ways in which people try to break through that. And uh, I I think so. There's this, I always love this term boundary dissolving or boundary dissolution. Someone named Terrence McKenna popularized that. He's a a very influential person in my life. uh, a kind of psychedelic guru in his own right, and so what that means in my life is that. And we we talked about barriers, we talked about boundaries in our former discussions here with Hannah, and obviously we need them. <laughs> I always I always use the metaphor or analogy of a fence. I feel like that's the ultimate symbol of America for me. Um, well, here where I live, what I like about the Midwest is fences aren't so popular in people's backyards. But you go everywhere else I live, California, Oregon, and, and major cities, especially. Uh, it's so clear the fence, the boundary. Don't cross, don't cross my yard, don't cross my fence, don't cross the fence of my life, don't don't get too close. Uh, you know, in a literal figurative way. And so we we really are deep into boundaries and uh, keeping distance. <laughs> I thought the social distance concept was so ironic. I was like, can we get more socially distanced? That's just how that's just our default in this culture, like stay away, get get get, up, get out of my bubble. Uh, and so, uh, in my own experience, and so we we, we briefly talked about. Hannah's very recent AKA today's <laughs> uh, <laughs> microdosing experience before recording. And I certainly can relate to, uh, I, I am a cerebral person, I'm an introverted person. I'm too mentally active a lot of the time. And so if I'm going through a struggle, if I am uh, stressed, if I am caught up in something, if I am feeling despair, then it just depends on your capacity, but it does impact everything and impacts my whole life and impacts how I relate to people, how I relate to myself. I'm not present, I'm not fully there. Um, other people I feel like can kind of snap out of it maybe a bit more, they go through a couple of days and then they bounce back, but uh, not all of us, uh, especially given different sensitivities are that way. So when you're going through that kind of struggle, what we mean by boundary dissolving here is, I think these experiences, breaking out of the tunnel bit by bit, through whatever practice, or perhaps in microdosing or perhaps uh, macro <laughs> um, having having uh, taking larger amounts of entheogens, um can you start to break down the veils and the walls and this fence I'm talking about between yourself and others. And also with yourself. I feel like we all fence our own being. Like we're closed off to all the different stuff. We compartmentalize. We're not fully in touch with all of our emotions and our thoughts. Certainly not our body. I think we tune out of our bodies almost all day, most of us. Uh, And And then we get like an ache and pain and we're like, oh, okay, and I didn't pay attention to this thing. But anyways, without going on and on, I think it breaks down the boundary with yourself, which then lets you break down the boundaries with others and lets you see through the darkness a bit. I think it lets you shed light on what is troubling and hurting you and where the pain is coming from. And that's a therapy. That's a form of therapy and healing in which you are the therapist and the one being healed simultaneously. Um, I think that's a powerful experience, and again, I think there are many ways we can break out of that that funk and that and that fog hovering over us. For some people, they like to go dancing, they like to work out and move and and be very physical. Just kind of depends. I think a good laugh is is great for that. I, I sometimes I just dance by myself. It's just like need to get the energy out and release it. Have a good cry whatever it is i so, had to do
1: some dancing today myself
0: <laughs> it's powerful it, it, i think it's a, a powerful ritual and it's just something that is also very fun i think and, and a great release so if you'd like to so as hano's framing this is kind of social experiment <laughs> um that part of what uh Part of why she's trying out these microdosing attempts is um, not purely to just be alone and um, you know in 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 these these stronger experiences that can be overwhelming uh, sometimes you can be incapacitated (laughs) so you can't go very far and and you might just be alone somewhere you might be with a trusted friend or multiple people Um, but so your objective was a, was a little bit different here, it wasn't necessarily kind of solitary exploration, but you purposely had other goals in mind. So if you want to just talk about that and, and elements of of whatever insight or whatever you went through that you want to talk about there.
1: Yeah, I, and I'll come back to this later, but I have done it with personally self-exploratory goals in mind, doing it alone even, Um, because I do want to explore those barriers within myself. And as a very introverted person, I think that almost all of the barriers I create with other people come from barriers I've created with myself. But (laughs) yeah, today I... And other times in the past, I have purposely microdosed in social situations because I want to take that opportunity to become more uh, engaged and happy in, in those moments and those in those beautiful interactions that I can have with strangers. And so. Dissolving the barriers that I have created in my own mind that separate me from another human being and really just uh, things as simple as eye contact, allowing me to read them, their emotions that are very vulnerable. It's always been, not always, but it has been a struggle in the past to sustain eye contact because I do not want. Other person
0: are like, know my secrets. Anna, by the way, everyone's recording in a car, her car. I'm not sure, but it, this is the second uh, mobile <laughs> car studio recording. So, so it, it was cutting out a little bit as a result. She's in the boondocks as she just told me. So i um, hoping it's okay. Otherwise we're gonna have to maybe uh, continue this segment a little later, but here we go. We're, we're continuing again. Go ahead.
1: All right. So, and tell me if it gets bad, but there's, hold on one second. Okay. So I have had problems in the past sustaining eye contact because it is a very vulnerable thing for me. I don't want to let the other person know sort of what I'm thinking. I don't know. I think we can tell a lot about people from their eye activities or, or just see what they're thinking better, um, by the way that their eyes look. And I, there are a couple moments in my life where I can remember, um, being like a turning point in how much I could make eye contact with people. So taking, um, taking psilocybin in small doses in social settings helps me to engage with little things like eye contact with the people around me and um, gives me an opportunity to really enjoy that present moment with them because people can really bring a lot to your life. And as an introvert, I think I tell myself a lot of times I've got this by myself, sort of this false sense of independence, <laughs> even, even though I know that I need other people. Um, I keep to myself, especially during dark periods of my life. And I have been going through uh, a particularly low point and have been experiencing a lot of depression, which was another reason um, for my microdose today. Um, and sustained micro use, micro dose over time. But going through those low periods, I do not want to share what is going on. And I recognize that in myself. This allows me to open up a little bit more freely and be honest with other people and myself in a constructive way that helps me work through my problems because. Kind of what you were saying before, when we are particularly introverted, sometimes going through those things can affect every other aspect of our life. And it can be debilitating, whether it's not cleaning your room or whether it's being more, more rude to those that you care about. What, however it shows up for you, um, it, (laughs) I don't know. How do I want to word this? But anyways, as, as an, as an introvert going through something challenging, I tend to stew over the problem and think and think and think on it with no resolve. And either microdosing or full dosing helps me work through those problems faster and be like some of those people that can just oh I had this problem come up it's been two or three days I've worked through it and move on but um today was interesting um in a social interaction because I was around other people who were also microdosing and I got to see their experiences with it and hear their reasonings for why they were doing it. And so it can kind of bring some insight into how it affects other people. But um, I had two people doing it for the first time. And one actually became more socially anxious because of the environment they were in. And I believe they expressed that they were already um, a socially anxious person, and taking this substance and being unaware of how it would affect them and not knowing the situation that was going on. They, they told me, they said, um, I'm feeling anxious. And I said, why? And they were like, well, I don't understand what's going on. Like what, what is happening because things were going on around us. Um, and they just didn't know how to jump into that situation. Uh, which is interesting because I've, I've never personally had that happen to me. But um, one of the other people that were also microdosing was able to open up about something uh, very personal and vulnerable in a way that I don't think they would have done otherwise. But they had also said that they became able to work through this problem a little bit better by explaining how it affected their everyday life. And um, long story story short, it was a a mental health issue that they had been having. Turns out I have some experience dealing with um, that mental health issue, not in my own life, but in the lives of those close to me. And so having another person to relate to them on a level that they wouldn't have normally shared is incredibly constructive. And that is the part that I microdose for as an introverted person, not reaching out to other people. But when that barrier is dissolved and I get to connect with somebody, you realize that they're all going through the same thing too. And their advice or just having an ear to listen to your story can be incredibly helpful. But also growing up, in this, in the Midwest, on um, trying to keep my problems my own, not wanting to burden other people, just sort of leaves a lot of things pent up, and so this is just one of those ways uh, that I have found to work through.
0: Got it. Got it. Very interesting. Uh, one personal thing, I you know, I just thought of. Uh, my health downward spiral largely came from just festering from too extremely uh, excessively keeping it in and not expressing it and not getting it out and not finding, um, I guess, the right people I could trust. And kind of like you said, like stoically just bearing it or Uh, thinking I had it all together and like plowing through and just like okay I can deal with it but I wasn't coping and I wasn't um, and and these things do spiral I know we talked about this a little bit I think when it pops up in a way that feels minor or doesn't feel too overwhelming it's all too easy to either ignore it put it to the side um, think you think you can manage it and then pretty soon you can't manage it. And then what do you do? And I, I just don't think we have many tools um, and many outlets in this culture. Some some of us don't have the access or privilege for therapies. For some people, it doesn't help at all. And uh, there wasn't even in-person therapy through the pandemic, and teletherapy is not necessarily for everyone. So, uh, just saying, if it, I think self-healing and being the ther- your own therapist, if you will, like uh, being your healer and, and healed. I think, can be very powerful. Um, and even <clears throat> being experimental in terms of these these micro amounts and even uh, trying out different social settings and, and kind of seeing what courage, uh, it is a kind of courage, I think, to try to break down those walls you're talking about.
1: It's very yeah. empowering to be your own healer. Yes. And you know what you need better than anybody.
0: Yeah that is very true. It's just a matter of, I think, unlocking those tools within us and trusting in our process, trusting that, uh, you know, homeostasis, the kind of equilibrium that exists biologically, I feel like exists on all levels, also mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I do think our bodies, our consciousness want to be in, here here I'm going to say, yeah, I mean, I, I think our bodies are conscious the way i don't think the mind and body are two radically different things so uh, our being is wanting to be in some kind of balance is what i'm saying in some kind of equilibrium and stasis and wants to go back to harmony on some level i really think that i think there's a like built in it's not just survival we actually not only does you know if you cut yourself you wound yourself you heal it's quite miraculous if you think about it um, the body goes right back to it, dividing cells and all that. I think the same thing occurs in the mind, in our emotions. And if we let it or, and, and maybe we don't know.
1: If, yeah. It, if we let it, if we let it.
0: And and we often, I think are the ones standing in the way of that. Um, there, there is a real vulnerability, definitely in eye contact. Um, <laughs> there was some like flowery thing, some philosopher called it, like, I don't know, the the gaze of something. <laughs> Beholding the gaze or like, kind of like letting your existence come, be exposed through the gaze.
1: <laughs> your existence being exposed. Yeah. I like
0: that. Yeah, that was kind of my little twist on um, what it is to make eye contact, but it's true. There's something yeah. to there, you know, and it's, it's, It's kind of interesting observation with with the masks, of of having to wear masks this whole year, you had to rely more on eye contact, right? Because Mm -hmm. you couldn't see what the hell was going on here. And so um, it was a weird thing. There were so many strange Twilight Zone moments of this year, but um, it felt like people were actually doing it less. I, I could be wrong it felt like even though eye contact was the way we need to understand each other, people were even shying away from it even more, maybe because they, they, they couldn't see the, the rest of, of your facial expressions and whatnot. Anyways, without going on about that, I do think it is difficult for all of us, especially with strangers, right? Um, and I think that's interesting that you purposely, I know so many people with profound social anxiety. Um, to the degree, I mean, I do think there's a there's a spectrum there of how intense it is, but I, I mean, people who won't leave the house ever, who are like lock themselves in uh, because they're terrified to encounter anybody, and um, there's there's always some kind of reasons and probably trauma um, underlying that on some level, but even without that. Um, I think it's interesting that you purposely wanted to connect with strangers, because I think we need to do more of that. Because, uh, I mean, again, how do you make so so every friend we make it was a stranger once, right? Like. I just, our, our community model, I think is, is and we, we've touched on this before, is, is so fragmented and odd, the, the way we, I think, keep people at, at a real distance and a real arm's length. Um, but if you can be open, if you can be like, hey, maybe this person can, we can have a cool conversation. Maybe I'll never see them again. Maybe we can talk about something here and now. Or the fact that we are all in the same boat you know like we are all people just getting through the day experiencing on some level probably very similar types of things um it's that empathy it's that connection that i do think culturally we've been lacking for a very long time and if you can find a way to rebuild that sense of empathy that sense of compassion that sense of connection and it doesn't mean you have to become friends with anybody actually you can you can never see this person if you have a a random interaction with it Um, but the walls the fences of social anxiety i think are thicker and thicker Um, they are debilitating with some people i know Um, even friends who i feel like this year has intensified it because they had to seclude we all had to seclude on some level and so now they're finding themselves not wanting to socialize at all like they've almost become afraid of it they've become, they've lost that uh, skill, if you will. So I think that's something also to heal through. And I just think there's a lot of of real growth that can come from opening yourself up to the possibility of connecting with other people slightly out of your comfort zone. Because if your comfort zone becomes more and more and more shrunken into basically you're just hiding out in your living room all the time, (laughs) Or whatever it is, you know, I I, I think that that ultimately um, can really scar us. I think that that can be hurtful because we've evolved to be social beings. I mean, some people are true recluses and hermits, but I don't think many. <laughs> Statistically, I don't I don't think many of us are actually.
1: They are the exception.
0: Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't evolve that way, and. Um, and and we we were tribal, we were clan-based people. That's that's how our species has evolved. And so I think there's a constant yearning to to be a part of that. So I think, I think that was pretty cool that go
1: ahead. And even even if you won't ever see these people yeah. again, yeah. On, on some extent. Every one of those interactions can be healing. I mean, some of them can be hurting, but most of the time interacting with somebody else just walking down, walking down the street can be a good thing. You know, they smile at you, they compliment like your outfit or they like your hair and it's those passing by like even if it's just like a side glance, you know, that's you being, and and it's kind of grounding because I, okay. Sorry to all the listeners for the cutting out, (laughs) but, um, I think that those passing by conversations can be incredibly healing um, because when you do get caught up in your head, they can be grounding.
0: You should check out, by the way, very whimsical poem, Walt Whitman, Passing Stranger.
1: Passing Stranger. Let's check it out.
0: It's, it's. I mean, he's a poet after all. It's very dramatic, but. <laughs>
1: very, very dramatic. But life can be dramatic sometimes. Yes, it can
0: <laughs> It's basically about like a passing stranger could have been like a relative in a past life or someone you fell in love with or it's, it's, it's a very, it's as open as it can be in terms of like this total stranger, I, I wanna feel love for them because who knows who they are. And I, and I might never see them again, but there's something really beautiful about that. And anyway, it's great, it's great. I, yeah, yeah, very whimsical, um, sweet poem. Uh, and yeah, there, there's always a risk. There's always a risk in opening yourself up straight up, being vulnerable, uh, risky. And, well, there's
1: risk is too with opening up to yourself. Um, yes. Some of the things that you had touched on reminded me of one of the, I think it was the second or third time that I had um, taken mushrooms and I had, I had to admit something to myself that I didn't necessarily want to admit. And (laughs) that was quite the barrier tumbling down and um, perfectly fine sharing this extremely personal experience, but um, I had realized that I was no longer in love with my current partner. And that was incredibly hard to experience. Um, Considering that I was with my current partner while I was doing this, Um, but it was a very mixed experience because it allowed me to understand the difference between loving someone for who they are as a friend, a beautiful person, and being able to be romantically in love with someone because you are still so attached and I had been I think lying to myself and them for a really long time because of that like friendship love and I know that the Greeks go into all the different kinds of love and so I had sort of like this friendship love with my partner that was so strong so incredibly strong and then Having to acknowledge to myself that that romantic love um, was no longer there, and oh, yeah. so yeah. that's an incredibly hard thing to figure out on yes. on one's just one's every day. Like how do you, how do you even process that sober?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I don't know. It was that was one of my um, more profound experiences using uh, psychedelics. But I am really thankful. For that experience, because it shed light on the complexities of the human mind and human emotions in ways that I think I was perceiving daily and am still perceiving daily. I think we are all like feeling them in some way, but to be able to put the words and the logic behind them is a whole different story and something that this helped me work through. And I know other people have shared similar experiences with me um, of just like being honest with oneself, which is really all barrier dissolution mm-hmm. with this self would be yes. is just honesty. It's, it's yes. really just being truthful yes. about how you're feeling. And that's part of that body-mind connection. And I will say here, though, the experiences that I have had with psychedelics, are nowhere near as satisfying and long lasting as the similar feelings I've gotten through yoga and meditation. So these are sort of my shortcut, like (laughs) booster turbo way to power through something that's bothering me. And yoga is more of the way to live in like a daily routine to not have those problems keep coming up because it's just facing them head on in the moment as they're arising, where this is sort of like, okay, I got a whole bunch of backed up trauma that I need to just power through really quick to get back on a page where I um, am living functionally.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a that was a lot there. But um, I hope that resonates with anybody that's yeah. listening to this because it um, it hurt it hurt, but it helped. Mm-hmm. You know, but but it was just because I had been hurting myself, and that was where part of the eye contact came from. I think that uh, I recognized my eye contact became more fleeting because I couldn't look my partner. In the eye and honesty anymore, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Does does. that mean? Yeah. Okay. I'm glad that makes sense. Yes, absolutely, it does. Um, yeah. I mean, to to bounce off that, you know, uh, I I once was full of shit. (laughs) I mean, I was just (laughs) honest. I was just honest with myself back to what we're talking about and mm-hmm. I think I got so used to it that I would tell these various white lies to people I love family friends my partner some of them were not white lies some of them were actual like you know dishonesty and I just kind of kept getting away with it if you will until I, until my dishonesty exploded and led to Um, very some very serious conflicts and issues that I then had to come out of and find a way to walk honorably and 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 first I had to start with you know tried as it may may sound like just actually coming to terms with myself being honest with myself including stuff like that stuff you're talking about things with my partnerships that I was in denial of or deflecting Um, things back to the relationship with my own being and all the things I was hiding from. I felt like I was hiding, hiding to me connects to dishonesty because you keep distracting and deflecting and staying out of what you need to really face. And, you know, kind of, kind of just like cowering away and, and and not going there. Uh, People that people, critics, of working with entheogens uh first off if you've never even tried it come on try it and then talk shit if you want but like (laughs) i find it very unscientific
1: yeah no they're definitely not scientists like i am
0: (laughs) i mean yeah i mean like to have all these opinions and judgments without trying it once
1: yeah there's that that's a what is that what would you call the phrase don't knock it till you try it a, <laughs> very true there's a word for those
0: yep yep i gotcha i just i think it's really unfair I, d- I don't think it's remotely objective i mean in terms of you know and there's a lot of people in spiritual communities including like yogis and and um uh, people who are really deep in meditation who are like, oh, it's for people that they want a shortcut to shortcut, you know, to use that word, they're they're lazy or this, this, and that, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're chasing their tail. They want this mystical experience. Yes. It can be chasing your tail It's seeking any kind of healing modality can be chasing your tail, or it can be chasing something that you don't need to chase if, if that if that's clear. Uh, it, yeah, there can be problems. You can take it out of context. You can not be ritualistic about it or whatever. You can be abusive about it. Yes. Okay. All those things are also possible with anything, including meditation, yeah. including any kind of physical and spiritual practice. But my perspective is uh, through, through whatever healing, can, I, I agree. You, you, need a, you need a long-term sustainable practice. And this, this can be qigong, this can be these physical modalities, yoga, the, the, the many kinds of meditation practice, even if it's not formal meditation, we've talked about mm-hmm. just having a good walk or, or biking or exercising, whatever it happens to be. Um, those things are very powerful, long-term sustainable practices. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, um, total self-forgiveness after being in a dishonest phase in my life and and doing hurtful things and condemning myself and judging myself essentially as being a bad person on some level or like being immortal or like I can't live with, um, and I didn't even do anything. I'm not going to get into it. I, I basically was just lying. Like I was yeah. Basically listening- I read
1: this heavily. Uh, just so you, just so you know, I resonate with this um, very much.
0: I think i think it's yeah i think it's a, a challenge many of us can go through uh not very, finding it very difficult to live with myself in fact that's what initially led to these psychosomatic problems i had a couple of years ago just being being consumed by guilt and shame and not knowing how to let go and not knowing how to stop judging myself when i worked you know these experiences it can be so cleansing it's only way i can describe it cleansing truly healing yes uh, that and i you definitely can have those those meditative breakthroughs but the reason these are ritually used in these healing ceremonies in so many parts of the world is because they just activate things that are totally unique to that experience uh, mm-hmm. the, the way our paleo-mammalian brain and neocortical circuits and all that stuff sync up and there's hemispheric synchrony and all this all this amazing things going on and uh just total, like, okay, yeah, all right, I, I did, I did shit I'm not proud of, but, like, I accept, I forgive myself, I forgive others that have hurt me, um, I forgive myself for being uh, naive and, and foolish, and, and, frankly, just not my true self, like, I wasn't in my true will, and mm-hmm. so I did these things that splashed out and affected other people, but I can totally let go, surrender, like, it taught me surrender, in a way that I apply to my daily existence now. Um, Stop resisting. Stop resisting.
1: Yeah. Well, oh man, I wrote this beautiful little note to myself one time. It was basically like, how wrong is it to deny yourself any impulse, instinct almost? Like when you're sleepy, sleep. When you're hungry, eat. But like when when you want to love, when you want to be sad, it's like follow those things because that's who you are. And that's honesty.
0: That is, that is. Um, and it is so easy to deny those, those impulses and to find the little ways we cut corners. Yeah. <laughs> tell, our, tell ourselves white lies, essentially. Yeah even the things of like, oh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing fine. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> we can tell ourselves that like, and that's, that's, that was part of my denial in the past six months or so, as I was telling myself that on a daily basis. And then another part of me was like, no, you're, you're totally full of it with yourself. And then I had to, had to, had to break through that essentially. Um,
1: oh, and it's, and it's, I would say probably I'm currently going through that phase where it's just like, okay, um, you were in a situation that definitely increased the amount that you were dishonest.
0: Yeah.
1: Why was that? How can we avoid that? But also, how can we forgive ourselves for doing those things? that um may have hurt other people and, and for you, sorry you, you go go for it. No, you go for it. <laughs> okay um I think um a personally hard thing for me is like deflection
0: yeah
1: um instead of instead of just accepting that those were my actions and that I need to like grow from a situation it's more of like well but if this wouldn't if this wouldn't have happened this way or if this situation was just a little bit different then I wouldn't have lied or then I wouldn't have done this dishonestly or um I would have been more truthful with myself if x y and z had happened or didn't happen but it's not even worth thinking about because it's over
0: yes it is it is. And and sometimes we do that to sugarcoat. We do it to actually protect other people's feelings or whatever it is. We don't want to offend them. And then it makes it worse.
1: Yep. Yes. <laughs> and that's a really complicated part of dishonesty is like we're almost taught, I think, to sometimes yeah. cook things for other people. Yeah. But why? Because I think it's yeah. hurting both parties.
0: It is, especially in this context with a partner, which I've personally experienced myself um, more than once. Yeah of like, okay, I, I,
1: same thing.
0: Yeah. Like you obviously love never goes away. You you obviously still love them, but the feelings transform, they change, they morph, and you're just not feeling it. Maybe at some point you're not compatible, whatever it is. And then Mm -hmm. you just don't want to, don't want to break their heart. You don't want to really hurt them.
1: Yeah. And that's also like a very challenging thing. I yep. hate hurting other people's feelings and to tell the person that you know, like you mean so much to them to be like, actually, I don't reciprocate those feelings that you have that are very strong. Um, just an imaginable thing for me and to, the, to the point where I would just rather make them hate me so that they would leave me. And that's really fucked up. So I could um, trying to self-eject. Yeah, but in, and that's one of the things where it's like, hello empaths, like be self-serving, please. It 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 helps you and those around you. And it's and it's the more empathetic thing to do if you think about feelings logically.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 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 absolutely that that's a good way to put it um you know and in a big a big part of my kind of growing pains uh, or like um going through this past few months and then like in my kind of recovery stage is stop trying to analyze shit (laughs) like (laughs) um you're not gonna figure it out The, the the why is irrelevant like you know, how did I get here? How did this happen? Could I have done this? Could I have done that? Could I have prevented this? I was, I was driving myself mad Mm -hmm. thinking of all the things that could have helped my health and my mental physical health recently and trying to, oh, and and that's, that's the double-edged blade of being, I think, just a cerebral, like very mental, mentally. Yeah. uh, intense person is you try to figure out everything you try to figure out the puzzle of everything this shit keeps you up at night sometimes Talking, yeah. it analyzing it's taken me a lot of like i've just had these kind of breakthrough lessons of like there's nothing to figure out it's <laughs> yeah
1: right well there the really isn't anything it's just chaos yeah
0: you can't you just yeah live. yeah you, you can't figure it out. You can't piece it together. Um, and this is, I think where we leave the building in terms of where we check out to our embodied experience, like what's going on in our actual physical self is that mm-hmm. we're just like, la, 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 you know, like constantly <laughs> checking out and tuning out and, and sitting there, you know, staring off and, and analyzing and, and trying to figure things out. And I, and I almost go there by default. And um, I'm doing it less and less. It feels so much better. I I actually think the roots of so much anxiety and depression is that shit. Is you overdoing it? Is like you overthinking, over-evaluating, uh, over-questioning? And in my case, the guilt and shame that I couldn't drop was because my mind was constantly ruminating on yeah. Could I have done better? How did I end up this way? How, how why did I why was I such a liar? Like why was I lying to myself this isn't that. Ultimately none of those there was no answer and ultimately it didn't even matter like what led to it. <laughs> and um it's almost like oh. we are to be the scientist of our life to a degree that this is not helpful. Um, yeah. And 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 I think that's another part the another healing aspect of you know like trance experiences or all the modes we've been talking about uh meditation practice and and theogenic practice and it is it is a practice it is like it's like there's a kind of training to that um you 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 return to the immediacy of what's going on right there in that moment and you're just like looking around like
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh, i am just ignoring all of this all fuck okay, i don't even notice Much because I'm like in here. I'm like yeah.
1: It lets you touch into the body, and the body holds the secrets of the mind. (laughs) I I think
0: absolutely. And you're just there. You're just there mm -hmm. present. It feels like the first time you've ever, first moment you've ever been alive. And it's it's yes. Well,
1: why does the first time I've felt alive? What? Well, maybe maybe I shouldn't say the first time I felt alive, but how come it's the first time in years that I've felt alive? You know, like, like, how have I been so numbed that this is really like the moment?
0: You feel like you've been sleepwalking?
1: Yeah, sometimes. Um,
0: I know that feeling.
1: Yeah.
0: Have you seen waking life? Random question. Huh? Waking life.
1: No. Is that, what is it? A movie?
0: It's a movie. It's about a series of dreams within dreams. That's the whole movie.
1: Waking Light. Okay.
0: It's awesome. Watch watch that as soon as you can. And it's short. Oh. I just reminded of that because they, they bring up that topic of uh, not, like, essentially being asleep while we're alive.
1: <laughs> that is so wild.
0: <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of true. I think there's a lot of what is, what is I it? think there's a phrase for them. It's called like philosophical zombies, you know, just not really having like a, not really having any thoughts that create change or inquiry on one's own existence and mushrooms, any psychedelics um, allow for that insight. If one has been struggling with that
0: um so you, you felt like you were kind of you were there but not really feeling things fully you, you said numb in your own words yeah kind of just existing i don't know how to put it
1: kind of just existing and
0: I know that feeling.
1: one of one of the ways that it had come to me too. Is my my stepmom and my dad had split, and this woman had been my mom for like ten years, and that's, that's um, had taken had taken mushrooms, and just realized like, holy shit, I miss my family. Like I miss them so much. But I had this notion in my head that because her and my dad had had this like horrible, horrible breakup that I just like, could never like talk to her again. Like, why was that in my mind? You know, their relationship might've failed, but this is a woman who has been my mother figure for 10 years. And so I messaged my brother for the first time in two years and said, hello, I would like to get some coffee. But it it was only when I had taken that substance that I could break down that social barrier that had caused me to uh, be sort of numb to my own feelings, because I had had this preconceived notion that this was how it had to be. If, if that makes sense. So I think that's a sort that, of a lot of the numbness.
0: It does. I understand you're, you're emotionally probably just very wounded. And
1: yes, and definitely you
0: know how to integrate or, or respond, or, you know, getting back to kind of breaking through. And another one of those boundaries right another one of those dissolving of our barriers um and yeah you had you had your hang up or you had your fear there you you, kind of your um reluctance skepticism (laughs) and understandably understandably so i think i think we all do i think especially with family that can get a little much the way we put up our our blocks and like either cut people off or afraid to be cut off or whatever happens to be, old grudges or just yeah. not know how to reach out. And, and, but you, know, you know, so these boundaries and these barriers, it's such it's that is something that is tricky. And I guess we do need to analyze how to, how to make them effective in our life because we, again, we need shields, we need healthy boundaries. Yes. I just think that we have very unhealthy boundaries. I think this is the, one of our initial points at the beginning of this one is like, okay, we have this one and we have that one. And then we have this one over that one. Suddenly there's like 20 of them. over <laughs>
1: And yeah. they're overlapping and you yeah. don't know how.
0: Yeah, they- at that point, it's like, okay, those are, of course, unhealthy boundaries is usually talked about psychologically and sociologically it is not having any. Is being like essentially codependent, or you know what I mean, letting people uh, walk over you or exploit you? Okay, that's certainly not right. Uh, that isn't healthy. But but I think a focus of what we've been talking about throughout this is the unhealthy boundaries of having too much. And um, my first thought here is almost like um, the way we've had to like compulsively sanitize our hands and wash our hands and stuff yes
1: um, that's a very like way the like simple way to break down these really complex things if if you have any sort of understanding of how germs actually work or how this disease spreads you can just say like i don't have to sanitize after i touch every single thing that's right you're just drying out your skin with hand sanitizer <laughs> and at that point
0: actually hurting immunity over time certainly um but i see a parallel there because i think it's a similar thing it's like um constantly trying to the way you're trying to protect yourself that way you're constantly trying to you're like adding a new sanitized <laughs> barrier over the new one to to, to to try to keep out foreign invaders <laughs> right or, or happens to be. And, and yeah we need that but True community and true connection comes from that riskiness that we're talking about.
1: Yes. And you have to take those risks to get that reward. Like yep. I never had closure if I wouldn't have reached out. Yep. And it's that feeling of oneness, that feeling of connectedness, forgiveness, um, love at the, at the root of it all. It's just, it's just having a, a deeper love for yourself and the people around you, the strangers, the estranged loved ones, um, that, I don't know, they, they help me. Yeah, yeah. They, they help me.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Those, those, those connections are 100% part of our health and part of our balance. So the the question for for anyone listening to, to really reflect on is, do we, do we stay hidden in our bubble the way I think we are frankly culturally conditioned to be in, in our bubble, the cocoon as I talked as I mentioned. Um, do we stay hidden in the bubble? And look, this might be, okay, if, you, if you've been genuinely traumatized or like deeply hurt, then that's different. I, I understand why that might that, that will cause an effect in which you truly have a very, very thick boundary. And that's probably going to take a lot of healing and unpacking and Mm -hmm. exploring, work through. But part, part of the risk of opening up that way is yes, sometimes maybe people will be mean to you or rude to you or say something that bothers you or disturbs you because that's human nature. Uh, but, uh, again, I think, I think the risk is worth it um, because staying insulated in that bubble, um, is I, I I just think it's a part of what we're seeing collectively going on in our culture for the past so many years. It's just the, the danger of being um, excessively hyper-individualist. And I've talked about this in other yes. as well. There's, there's actual legit danger there. And again, I've noticed this being in other cultures in which that's not really part of how it works where you're constantly connected to community and thinking collectively more about, what's best for others, not just myself. And in fact, what's best for me is what's best for other, you know, that's kind of back and forth.
1: Yeah, it's a lot more about, um, <laughs> well, and I think it leads to more of a, like a societal growth and benefit. Um, yep. But another thing about taking risks is I think it makes you more capable of handling those situations that don't turn out right. Yes. Because when when you are, when you are whole, when you are healed and, and someone who isn't whole or healed, or even some, even somebody that might just be just on an off day hits you with like a negative response or is rude, whatever you can either a sass them back and then defend yourself because you have developed the confidence to do so, yeah. you know, and, and it do, and it no longer affects you because it's just water off a of duck's back and, I know so many people that stew over those little instances. And I have been one of those people where the person who was mean to you when you were working the register, yeah. but now I'm the person that if somebody's rude to me, I'm just like, I'm not going to bring you up because you talk to me disrespectfully. And I no longer accept that level of treatment in my life because I've evaluated, I've evaluated my standards. And a lot of people, um, again, oh gosh, another boundary would just say, like, well, the customer is always right because this, I don't own this store and my, and I could sell this item to make my boss money. It's like, no, you don't have to accept that. But it's only when you create um, value systems for yourself that those things are really possible. Mm -hmm. And you can only, create those things by taking risks in social interactions and then developing a sense yeah. of sort of boundaries.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's an excellent point. I, I, that's an excellent point. So yeah, basically maturing and, and evolving into that, it, as I think you're very, very clearly explained here, part of that growth is from the risk, like exposing yourself on some level. Again, if you stay stuck in that bubble, it's like st- kind of staying like an infant, only eats baby food or something that's Mm -hmm. an analogy but but kind of you know like 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 you're you're limiting your growth and and potential repeating
1: the same mistakes
0: yes not there's
1: no feedback from anybody else to tell you what you're doing wrong or or what you could be doing better
0: instead of learning to that that's, that's education as well the the kind of social education of learning how to move through all these different uh interactions and and having finesse and whatnot um god i've i've quit and, and been fired from so many jobs because I, huh? I just can't handle people's bullshit i
1: <laughs> oh man like
0: like once people start throwing shade and like getting a weird power trip which people have done in some of the like, mm-hmm. jobs i've had i of course i'm just thinking mentally like well fuck off but
1: I, <laughs> yeah i mean, we can't I, always like, say that. <laughs>
0: I'm just saying like there's been a couple times I'm like you know what I'm out I- I'm just gonna go bounce the mm-hmm. next job because this keeps happening when, when <laughs> in, in, I mean I've lived in places like Eau Claire generally and, and you know Midwest friendly is a real thing and, and people mm-hmm. are very friendly I've lived in very unfriendly big cities in which the norm is to kind of be standoffish and rude to people and treat people. Like,
1: I think there's a lot of selfishness in big cities from my personal yeah. experience uh, I think there's uh, a lot of very egotistical yeah. people
0: and and it's you know I've thought about this a lot there's a survival instinct because there is stranger danger like you really don't know who to trust in a mega 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 city and and crime is natural is unfortunately uh, very very high in proportion in every big city I've ever been in America um, mm-hmm so you you know, so it's that that kind of survival mentality, but anyway, yeah, I've been fired, I've been, I've quit again and again and again just because like I, I start to lose my motivation completely because stuff like that is it will not be a one-off, it will like consistently happen. And I would watch coworkers just suck it up and it was obviously hurtful to them. I was just like, what is this bullshit? You what are we your surfs? Is this like a Yeah. <laughs> <thing?"> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it,
1: it would be it would lead you to feel it would lead you to have a lower sense of self-worth, whether you think oh, exactly. that that you're like, well, yeah. I'm not going to let this affect me yeah. by you repeatedly allowing it to happen. You are lowering your self-love and self-worth, whether you think so or not, because that's how you're treating yourself by not quitting.
0: Oh, yeah. Have you seen, have you seen the classic uh, stoner movie, Half-Baked, Dave Chappelle? Yeah. Oh, what a classic! I don't remember when that guy quits his uh fast food job. <laughs> do you <remember> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, before I even saw that, I fantasized that it was like, I just like wanted to tell people off, including my coworkers, that way. Oh my goodness. Anyways, anyways. It's so dramatic,
1: but I I would respect <laughs> it if I saw somebody do that at work, and I would just <laughs> like clap them on the way out the right? door. <laughs> right
0: you get to that point you get to that boiling point anyway just that's that's more of a silly note um but yeah it's it's i think it's uh it is a good experiment and i think um there's this Just one scholar of religion said turn altered states into altered traits that, that's a good one that's a good one. he was kind of coming out of the psychedelic 60s and in, in which people <laughs> didn't really know you know, how to integrate some of the stuff, like after the ecstasy fades away, after like the euphoria. Um, so I think it's an important aspect of working with these types of experiments is hopefully long-term. Well, we know physiologically and psychologically these do have long-term sustainable effects, um, including microdosing. So learning to apply those those experiments in your kind of daily reality, I think is, is very important. That's, that's another side of this types of, of growth and healing is, you know, not necessarily the like, um, totally, uh, you know, overwhelming mystical union or, or, or whatever it happens to be like super powerful catharsis. Um, it's just moving through our little neuroses and our fears and our anxiety yeah. hangups, um, our boundaries, our, our, closeness our inability to be vulnerable with people and so on and so forth and then um, learning how to apply that um, in our daily practice and in our daily interactions and whatever in, in, in whatever form um, we talked about the boundary to solving briefly that surrounds drinking I think it's a very important note to bring up because it's that's like that is the number one ritual I would argue in America is drinking or, or let's say like the public intoxication ritual, the sanctioned drug of choice is, is bars is drinking. And it could just be inviting the buds over and drinking, you know, watching the sports or just hanging out. It's just what people do. They immediately reach for the beer, uh, you know, and, and I noticed in my hedonistic days, (laughs) uh, in which drinking was a a very common ritual, like I said. Um, And I noticed that that's when I was only becoming vulnerable. That's when I was like crying around my friends sometimes. That's when I was kind of working out my own toxic masculinity bullshit that I inherited as part of my gender and working that out. Um, That was one way. I actually learned from those altered states because when I was sober, I'd be like, huh, well, I don't get why what is stopping me like why why aren't I saying what I'm truly thinking and feeling and like getting my thoughts out the way alcohol lets that the social lubricant right it just it just lets you kind of spill out your gut like you just spill out what you're what's on your mind in a way that normally we keep we we tend to be very inhibited we tend to just keep it keep it in um and so Anyway, this is this is just on a slightly different but parallel note. I learned, you know what? I'm gonna apply that lesson. Uh, I'm just gonna keep the social lubricant and be as upfront and direct and even vulnerable when it's uncomfortable and kind of scary. Um,
1: it intimidates other people.
0: It it can, it can. It makes some people shrink away. Maybe that's part of my inhibition. Like honesty actually makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Yeah,
1: well, it's, it's volumes as to how many of us haven't, um, reached a level in our lives where we're comfortable. I don't know. Comfortable might not be the right word. Cause I think a lot of people are very comfortable with whatever, um, life or mm-hmm. truth that they've got going on for themselves. But I think it speaks volumes to how many people haven't really worked through their own issues.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. But like you said,
1: it's because we don't have the tools. Um, how, how many parents aren't having these conversations with their kids? Oh Yeah. Sim- simple things like that. It's just um, I, my, my mother actually um, is an incredibly, I would almost call it dishonest person just because I have learned so much about her um, since my parents got divorced by my dad telling me things about her life that she has never once brought up to me on my own she was married before my dad like she's never told me that you know and it's like why would you not uh want your kids to know about your life like who you are as a person what you've seen um like how how you've how you've grown essentially because working through those experiences in your lifetime and telling the next generation about it would only make us wiser but by pretending that those faults or those missteps didn't exist, um, the only thing that can happen is for us to repeat those same mistakes, perhaps, or, or at the very least, um, we don't get to know you for who you actually are, just for what you want us to see of you, yeah. and that hurt me for a really long time when I found these things out about her life that I would have loved for her to tell me herself but instead hearing it from my dad because she's never going to tell me
0: (laughs) yeah probably probably some shame there um i i thought of keeping up appearances do you know know what i mean by that term yeah
1: definitely well she wants us to live a life that she might have wanted for herself maybe but that's not realistic. Life, life, life is chaos, and she had some chaos. And tell us about that, so we can prepare for it.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very. That's a great point. Um. I I, th- I think that I, I think this this uh, all encompassing mild dishonesty, if you will, or like omission, lying by omission as well uh it is very much about wanting to be perceived and appear a certain way in America in our culture back to keeping up appearances like she's trying to hide this part of her life from you she probably hid other parts of her life from you my parents certainly have (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's taken a long time I think for us to just come to terms and be upfront and honest with each other um you don't talk about certain things. I know there's taboos in every culture, but we've got our own song and dance about what you can and can't talk about or can and can't feel or whatever it happens to be. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've lived in Australia and other places and the people that were blunt were like, I think they'd say things like, Americans just seem really fake.
1: <laughs> yeah. i would be like, damn.
0: You know, like I, when I'm-
1: huh? <laughs> sometimes though
0: i mean i get it you know and and i studied abroad in europe and then i made some good friends there and i went back a few times after college they'd say similar things too they'd be like you guys are just phony you don't really you like smile and shit but we know you're not happy <laughs> <laughs> wow
1: that is okay um... i not know the exact
0: words right <laughs> not in those exact well
1: words. but like this makes me think of german culture
0: Oh yeah, where where they're they're very I just I that made me think of Germany because I feel like they're very blunt about what they're actually um, Yeah. Thinking. But you
1: also wouldn't ask a stranger how are you because you don't give a shit. Like you don't care about that stranger and What's you the asking them how they are, they would think that you're like kind of like why is this person asking me how I am like I don't know them.
0: No, no for sure. There's 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 a reserved kind of coldness there. Mm-hmm. Um, and look look I'm just saying I understand why other perceptions outside our culture thinks that we're we are keeping up appearances or putting on a mask or facade I think we, we probably do that sometimes and the, the I guess the point I'm trying to make is I think this this reaches really toxic levels um, connected to what you're talking about connected to wanting to be seen a certain way wanting to appear a certain way in, in which we have double or triple or quadruple lives right well
1: and let's not even talk about the role social media
0: oh, plays in this yes. because that would be a whole
1: other podcast yeah yeah
0: <laughs> oh God, what a god it gets like it gets kind of truly schizophrenic like like did you know yeah
1: it, it is a, it, so it is a different personality but how yeah. can that bleed over into
0: your everyday life oh it does digital yeah. now that we can hide behind Masked within masks of our non-digital uh, mm-hmm. personas, and and so, yeah, it's it's just ultimately, I think it takes incredible courage to. Um, God, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm a huge movie nerd. If you can't tell, have you seen American Beauty? Amazing film. Very very beautiful film. Somewhat pun intended. I, I don't I, think so. Oh man. What an amazing movie! Uh, Kevin Spacey, a bunch of other famous actors, um, Annette. Oh God, what's her name? Um, a- anyways, uh, it was it was really about what kind of what we're talking about. The title being like American Beauty. It's like in this upper class neighborhood. They they're you know a giant like four thousand square foot houses. The suburbs. Everything's perfectly clean. Everyone's like, how you doing, neighbor, and like jogging and all healthy and, you know, happy American shit. Oh. But then you quickly see beneath the facade, people are like, they're addicted addictive substances, there's abuse, mm-hmm. they're tortured, you know, everyone's got, I mean, mentally tortured, so on and so forth. And I don't want to go on and on about this, but there's, there's this, there, this movie is like breaking down with a chisel all the kind of ways that we pretend to be okay. And pretend to be beautiful or pretend to look good to keep up appearances like oh I'm making all this money I'm so successful look, look my kid is the valedictorian you know all that kind of shit and yeah and so things th- that are meaningless yeah there's this and Kevin Spacey works this like corporate job I don't even remember the like selling something for like a magazine he, he hates it and it's utterly pointless and meaningless to him, but it makes him a lot of money. And think about other people in that position, or you know, they're just doing something they can't stand just for money. And so he starts to like gradually have this existential like, breakdown, and then everything starts to unwind in everyone's lives in this story. But there's this great part where like they're at dinner, and it's like the usual niceties, like, "How's it going? Oh, my day was blah 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 blah," and people are obviously it's him and his wife and his daughter and they're obviously ignoring each other, like the way people don't really care, you know? And and his, his daughter's kind of throwing shade, just like, whatever, mom, like, I don't, you know, like just, just being spoiled brat, basically. And it's just clear how it is functional and how they're only on a surface level of understanding each other. And he's like, he basically says something like, I think my life is meaningless, and I'm going to quit my job. I don't care if I become destitute or something, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds just, about right. They don't even register what he's saying because every talk about selfish. Ever, like they're not even listening. They're like, uh huh, uh huh, okay. <laughs> so he, he gets his meal, the plate that he's eating, and he just throws it against the wall, and it just it it, cry, it breaks, and they're like, all right, are you listening now? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just this great very dramatic uh, example of like God sometimes it, it, sometimes you have to like do something you just got to break back it's back to the, those those walls and those boundaries we're, we're like in this trance of being so self-absorbed and self-obsessed most of us and yeah like, we can't really help it and and sometimes, you need like a jackhammer, you need like something to just like, get through how dense that is, uh, you you know, yeah. And so anyway, we're we're getting all kinds of different different that
1: no, it's super fair um, to bring that up here. Um, I think it's also important when you say that to recognize that everything that we perceive is us, you know, like, Absolutely. It it is only our life experience that allows me to look at the wall that I'm looking at right now with my eyeballs and interpret my situation through my own life experience. Um and hopefully if other people let me get glimpses of their life experience, it adds to mine. Um, but it is really hard to throw away that ego because that really is all that we have at the end of the day is ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um but but to separate, to separate the understanding that the world is like, it's just what you make of it, but also not having like an egotistical like outlook or um, I mean, every, everybody's got an ego to like completely dissolve it. I don't really think is possible personally, mm-hmm. but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I mean,
0: <laughs> the very first thing you brought up was free will and how little that we have, which I agree. Yes, Um, I agree. I do think in a a kind of full circle here that whatever little freedom of choice we have, freedom of will, um, breaking through all of these levels that we've talked about, breaking Mm -hmm. through our traumas, our neuroses, our fears, our inhibitions, our barriers, that to me is one of the purest sources of freedom
1: yes oh so sweet
0: (laughs) yeah because then you don't feel like you're almost enslaved by impulses and thoughts and emotions and other people's emotions which as an empath you absorb and you pick up on and they they Mm -hmm. affect and direct you sometimes
1: yes and it's and it's so unfair of yourself to live life through someone else's emotions let alone your own
0: (laughs) yes oh goodness Drop my microphone things got too heated there um, yeah yeah and and I think again on the relationship note that can be the danger zone is absorbing and that's a that's a struggle I've had in previous relationships absorbing when they're upset or whatever it happens to be when they're disappointed you know they're not satisfied so on and so forth um but I, I do think it just made me think when you said like we're only seeing essentially the projection of ourselves or we're only seeing what we've experienced and what we're putting out to the world. So if someone's miserable, if they're angry, if they're caught in a trauma, then mm-hmm. they present that in a certain way, and it might look very cruel and then ugly or whatever happens to be uh, anxious. So once you start to break through those veils after veil after veil after veil, after veil then I, I, there, there is something truly liberating about like, okay, well. <laughs> Well, here I am, and I feel a certain freedom in what I'm choosing to do because I, I'm I'm, try, I'm directing my day. I'm, to the best of my ability, directing my thoughts. And not that you can control your mood, you can't really, but you can somewhat navigate through all the stuff that's going on in your daily experience. And rather than be bounced around like a pinball, you can kind of, enter the stream, if you will, like enter the wind. Um, the lesson I get again and again from my uh, deep trances, as I call them, whether through meditation or em- em- theogen- theogenic work, is stop resisting. Very simple, stop yeah. resisting. And and then a part of me, like the ego self, is like, well, I'm, no, I'm not resisting. And then it's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Like like in in, in in subtle ways, whether it's like, why am I feeling this way? Why is this happening, not that happening? You're resisting. You you are you're, you're pushing against the wall. Like you are creating another wall. Um, why why that? Why this? How this resistance, 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 you know. How come I felt this way and now I don't? How come I this how come this person I love is not there? Resisting, resisting, <laughs> resisting the present reality. And um, I do feel that's when we are like in a hamster wheel, and I feel like less and less free when we have all these defenses against just being alive. It's the most simple thing in the world, back to that present awareness and groundedness, but we make it the most difficult thing because (laughs) I think because of our minds, because our minds are so complex, and like you said, confessor, you're talking kind of talking about like. Uh, getting stuck in a point of your life and, and overthinking it or ruminating on it. And, and um, again, I get caught in my head all the time. This is constant work for me. It's a constant practice for me um, to not do that. And uh, you know, I am in therapy and one thing my therapist calls me out on is when I, just like I said, when I get in analytical mode, they're like, I was just asking you, they say things like, I was as asking you how you feel, but you're analyzing why you feel a certain way. <laughs> and I'm like, shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know some you. people that can only think of emotions through analysis, you know, it's not, ne- it's never just a I feel feeling. This. Yeah, n- not just one simple statement. I feel this. One sec
0: here okay open source philosophy DOTs out there um I've lost track of time i don't know probably been over an hour an hour and a half ish so i'm I'm definitely going to break this into segments here and um yeah it's been it's been very edifying it's been very stimulating very very interesting conversations I still have a bunch of various thoughts i've i kept mental track of that i will it's ten forty five so I'm not, uh, we'll We'll break here. I won't get into some of those questions and reflections I had, but hope and Hannah will will come back for a future session here. And I, I think that it's it's' I've been it's interesting how not just myself, but others having these conversations with me, we've been gravitating towards mental health, spiritual health, physical health um, on some level. I think it's just there's so many factors. Obviously, the pandemic is a huge part of this. That I think is really pushing us to back to honesty, be be real about what's hurting us and what we've been burying down and perhaps repressing, whatever happens to be. I think I think they're very important conversations to continue to destigmatize these topics, to feel comfortable about them, not feel like it's like a taboo, a skeleton hiding in the closet, which it has been. It absolutely has been for a long time in our culture and in other cultures it's still completely taboo to have conversations about this at all so it's 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 a gift it's it's a it's a privilege i think we're very fortunate uh to have these open discussions to be able to talk about microdosing so Simon. <laughs> for instance among among other um related topics that that we got into um one one final thing on, um, we talked about numbness a few times, you know, I don't, I don't wanna go on around about this, but um, living alone, which I do, being new to the community, I haven't lived here long. I was only here a few months before quarantine started. And after the isolation and quarantine going on for a whole year and my social life <laughs> becoming zero more or less other than one close friend checking in on me, never seeing coworkers, so on and so forth, I started noticing that numbness became more and more common um, as my kind of coping mechanism of just having to sit around and frankly i would just like stare at the wall sometimes and be bored (laughs) just like okay is this gonna end is this a dream what's real anymore i don't know and that's when I, i that's when i had to get serious about my mental health all over again a few months ago um when we were still very much in you know things are gradually opening up now but before then I was like I'm numb to the numbness it's 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 becoming I don't want to say my default it's becoming way too common because obviously I'm a part of me is depressed a part of me is way overwhelmed about our reality right now and the election shit and like almost the brink of civil war and just like Okay, our economy. I I, I don't want to go on and on and on, but it just felt like everything was splitting at the seams. And I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't take this. So um, that's something to check in about as well. To what degree have we become numb? How do we push through that? And that's a big part of my current life goal and mission is like, all right, I can't, I can't be that way anymore. I I, I want to feel the rawness and fullness and purity of being alive. And thank God I'm much more social now. And my friends have disappeared, the, the ones that disappeared in the woodwork because no one wanted to be around other people. At least my friends were totally socially distancing. Um, people are coming out of the woodwork and my family came and checked in on me. So all that was a blessing. And just, the, I'm, just I'm just throwing my two cents there about, um, it's kind of a scary place to be in. It, it, it feels very unhealthy. Um, to, to have that numbness be there. And I think your point, Hannah's point here, is you seem to also be conscious of that and how depression and anxiety are like barriers that keep you separated from people, either people you really care about or totally random people, and that you don't want to live that way as well, that you want to, you want to break into this kind of uh, a- a- authenticity or the, 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 the rawness Of of truly feeling, and once once you open yourself to truly feeling, and the vulnerability and the beauty of it all, I don't think any any of us want to go back. (laughs) Once you start, uh, I I call it unveiling. Once you start, just just being open to the possibilities of being alive, because we're only as cliche as we know this is. It's it's a one time chance. First time we're alive. Last time we're alive, folks. So keep that in mind. Go ahead, Hannah.
1: Yeah. Um, think about getting my prana flowing. And I think a lot of that comes from, I had someone <laughs> bluntly phrase it raw dogging reality. Um, basically all of its ups and downs, just encountering it um, and and living it and not um, trying to deceive yourself or uh, buy into any sort of like filter on, on reality to just experience it and let yourself flow through, um, whatever's happening in the world around you. But yes. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I got. You just gotta, you just gotta let yourself be who you are by, By following yourself, trusting yourself and whatever subliminal instincts, whatever thoughts you're having, just try to explore those to the best of your capability. Um, Because I've really felt my, what I consider my true personality, my, or or at least the person I want to become has come out by being honest and following those impulses feeling what my body is telling me all that good stuff that we covered in this podcast so yeah um getting over some of those mental health problems uh through doing that and making a lot of really good connections along the way that I wouldn't have made otherwise if I would have just stayed locked up in my head
0: Mm -hmm. that's right something something to think about anyone that's assisting out there um Take that risk a little bit, a little bit, a little bit danger, Some, some danger. Maybe that's a dramatic way to put it, but life is dangerous. We know this.
1: <laughs> Complacency is death.
0: Yes, agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for those words, Hannah. We'll we'll sign up. I
1: hope I hope whoever listened made it all the way to the end.
0: It was <laughs> worth it. I'll, I'll do my best. Thanks
1: for being a part of our conversation, guys.
0: Thank you, everyone. And I, I will do best to appease our attention span um, by making this man, in, in manageable segments. So I'm sure <laughs> it's not, I'm sure a
1: five-part saga.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Hannah. We're signing out. Take care, everyone. Take care.